The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts chapter number 3. If you're joining us for the first time today, we are uh, working our way through this book of Acts. And uh, don't worry, we will not uh, go through every single chapter. Remember I had told you that the book of Acts revolves around six summary statements that begin something like, uh, the Word of the Lord begin to prosper and grow. And so in those passages, we will just kind of uh, take out and look a little bit about what's going on. And we've titled this series, The Good News to the Ends of the Earth, because that's what happens. The Lord spreads the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we find our place in Acts chapter number 3. Verse number 11 through 16 today. And before I read that, let me just remind you, just kind of bring us up. So um, Peter and John were on their way up to the temple. And uh, verse number 1 of this chapter, and you'll find that uh, there's a man that's laying there by the gate. And he uh, he's looking for silver or gold or for money. He is lame. And uh, Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I'm going to give to you. And uh, he heals the man. And uh, the Bible says that he gets up and he's strong and he's leaping and and uh, God really did a marvelous and a wonderful miracle. And of course, you'll see that in verse number nine it says, "And all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple and begging alms." And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, let's pick up and read uh, what Peter has to say here in verse number 11 and down through verse number 16. So the Bible says, while he was clinging, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico or uh, uh, colonnade of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, Why are you amazed at this, or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power and piety we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the Holy One and the Righteous One and asked for a murderer, Right, Barabbas, you'd ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but you put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened, or the person, it is Jesus who has strengthened or healed this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through Him, that is through Jesus, has given Him this perfect or complete health in the presence of you all. And may the Lord add the blessing to His Word. Would you join me for a word of prayer and then we'll take this apart. Our Father, we do come to You now and thank You for uh, this glorious Lord's Day. Every opportunity we have to worship at our local church is a wonderful time. Thank You for the Bible study hour. Thank You for our fellowship, our giving, our praying, our singing. 
And now, Lord, the opening of Your Word, I pray that You would bless it. I pray that You would empower me to preach in such a way that would say what You want said and not say what You don't want said, Lord. And I pray that You would help all of our hearts for the believer to be transformed, for the lost to be saved, and for our great Father to be glorified in Christ Jesus by way of the Spirit of God. We love You. We trust You to do these amazing and wonderful things today. For it is in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. When I come to this text today, it is uh, truly a blessing for me to kind of preach this because it uh, moves on my heart some. First of all, you know, the Apostle Peter here, now he's preaching and he's talking about his preaching ministry. And I thank God that he, uh, as the Apostle Paul would say, that one day along the line, God counted to me faithful, not my own faithfulness, but the faithfulness of Christ in me, that he would put me into the ministry. I the greatest privilege of my life outside of my my salvation and my marriage is that God counted me faithful and allowed me or put me into the gospel preaching ministry. And it is the joy of my life to serve this local church right here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. You say, Steve, are there, are there times where you're not so happy? Oh, you better believe it. I tell you, some Monday mornings, I feel like pumping gas for a living, all right? But I'm telling you, I love you. Connie loves you. We uh, praise God for our local church here. And it is it is a joy, it is a privilege to preach God's holy and marvelous and wonderful and inspired Word to His people that we may grow and love and look like Jesus. And so when I come to this text, it reminds me of the things that are important in the preaching in the, uh, of the Word of God in the Christian ministry, but it also reminds me, if you look down at the end of verse number 14, a fact to which we are witnesses. He's not just talking about himself. He is talking about the rest of the apostles and all of those who had been saved on the day of Pentecost, so that whether you're a preacher or whether you're just a believer in Christ Jesus, we are all counted faithful. We are all put into the ministry. And if you're in this room today and you love Jesus, Jesus, you have been saved by God's marvelous and good grace. I want you to understand, you are not merely just a, a warm body in a pew, but you are to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I belong to Christ and the truths that we study in this text are just as appropriate to my ministry today as a preacher as it was when Connie and I were serving in the, uh, oh, what was it, the butterfly class or the hornets class? I don't know, those children were like hornets. We were at a church. And they had like, they had all these children's classes and they named them all different kinds, like the butterfly class, the caterpillar class, the this class. The ones we had were wasps or hornets. I don't know what they were, man. I tell you. But we just as much when we were serving with two and three and four and five year old children, God had placed us into the ministry serving there. I, I've been a greeter. I've been an usher. I've been a deacon. I, I, I've been a, a gopher in church life. And I want you to understand no matter who you are or what you do in the life of a church, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in the ministry. Amen? You're a witness for Christ. And the truths that are contained in this passage, whether you are pastoring the largest church in the world, or whether you feel like your ministry is on the backside of the desert, and nobody ever sees what you do, I want you to understand, what we focus on in this passage today belongs in the heart of every true believer of Jesus Christ. And if these things aren't true of you, then you need to repent of your sin, come down to this altar, or sit in your pew and ask Christ to help you today. 
today to have these things appropriated and placed into the center of your life and your heart. Please follow with me. Let me just give you three quick points from this text today. Number one, all true Christian service for Jesus begins in humility and self-denial. If you want to love Jesus and follow Him, it doesn't matter to me whether it's down on your job or with your family or with your friends or wherever it is, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your Christian life must be rooted and grounded and begin with self-denial and humility in your Christian life. Look back at verse number 11. While he was clinging. Now, you'll understand here that the word clinging, it means that he was holding on tightly to Peter. This is the same phrase as when uh, Mary is in the garden there after Jesus raises, you remember? And uh, she looks at Jesus, doesn't know who He is, and says to Him, hey, tell me what you've done with my Lord. And Jesus turns around and says, Mary. And in that moment, she realizes and says, Rabbi, you're my teacher. You're my Savior. And she clings to Him. And Jesus has to say, listen, you've got to let go. I still haven't finished what I'm doing. I've got to ascend back into heaven and be glorified before my Father in heaven. This is the same term that's used here. Peter and John raised this man up by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And could you imagine if you were a lame man all your life? Could you imagine if you were suffering and you couldn't walk? And no, you, There's no way that you could work and live and do all of this. And you were in in some way maimed and these people had to take care of you and in a moment Jesus heals you by his power and now you're walking and leaping and praising God wouldn't you probably also have a moment where you reached out and said hey is this for real and you just latched on to Peter that's exactly what's going on here he clings to Peter and then look at what happens in this text while he was clinging to Peter and John all of the people ran together to them at this so-called um, portico of Solomon. This is a long, uh, think of your, think of your southern home that has the wraparound veranda or porch on it. That's kind of what we're talking about. And Jesus himself actually preached from this place and did many things from this place earlier on in his ministry. And in fact, what's going on in this text is a mirror image of the way that Jesus would often work in his own ministry. You remember sometimes Jesus would provide bread or he would feed somebody and then he would preach a sermon about him being the bread of life. And that's exactly what Peter does here. He heals a man and then preaches about Christ being the one who heals us in our lame condition. And so it says here, they were all full of amazement. And look at verse number 12. But when Peter saw this, he replied to them, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power and piety we had made Him walk. I just want you to take this point home today to begin with. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to walk in humility and in self-denial. And you ought to understand that anything good that comes out of your life, any ministry, any work, anything that happens for the good is done not by your own power and not by your own piety, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I won't call anybody out, but I was already at church today when some uh, some person in church came up to me and they were talking to me. And in the course of talking to me, they were telling me what they had done. And they were telling me that what they would had done was better than what somebody else had done. I just, as God's shepherd in this church, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, don't do that. Be humble. Somebody said one time that even the ass that Jesus rode on into town knew that they weren't throwing down their clothes and putting out the palm branches for Him. It was for Jesus. And you ought to live your life in humility. Let me say that again to all of us today. You ought to have a good dose of godly Christian humility. You are not God's gift to the church. You are not God's gift to your family. You're not God's gift to your school. You are a humble follower of Jesus Christ. And so much the more, if you have multiple talents, if you can sing and do all of these other things, whatever you can do, you humble them before the mighty hand of God and you say, Lord, here's what I have to give. You use it. You receive glory. You receive honor. This is for you. One of the greatest problems that is in your life right now is arrogance and pride. You want people to look at you. You want people to think well of you. You want people to think that the work is being done by you. Let me ask you this. If you were in Peter's place, and somehow God gave you the power to reach down and heal a person who is lame, and all the people came running and saying that you were doing great things, would you say and stop them before they even spoke and say, this belongs to the power of Christ? Or would you sheepishly kind of just give an off-putting, well, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for a while, and I've been doing this, you know, I've read through my Bible, did my devotions this morning... Or would you have a self-denying humility that pointed every person in the world to Jesus Christ alone? If you want to follow Jesus, you'll be humble. If you want to follow Jesus, you'll be self-sacrificing and point other people to Him. Look back down with me at the text. All true Christian ministry begins with humility and self-denial. And all true Christian belief and ministry is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, back at verse number 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant, Jesus Christ. Now, if the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob thought that the center point of all of history was to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross and through the resurrection, what are you doing with your life? 
Verse number 13, listen, he says here that it is the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob that is not there just for uh, flowery and good words, but that is to remind you that God had made a covenant with Abraham and that that Abrahamic covenant goes all the way down through the Old Testament through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David. And God made a promise and a covenant with His people that one day there would be a Messiah who would come and keep the bargain that He had made and die for the sins of those who believe. Jesus Christ is not a Johnny-come-lately. He is not something for us to merely focus on in the New Testament. All Scripture focuses on Jesus. I want you to notice here who is doing the work in this passage. It is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who glorifies Christ. It is God who brings about His death. It is God who brings about His resurrection and His glorification. The Father is at work in the Son by way of the Spirit of God. And all history and all of the world is centered upon Jesus Christ. Now let me just put this in your lap today. Is your life centered on Jesus Christ? Do you think more about Jesus than you do anything else? Do you talk to Jesus more than you do anyone else? Do you long every day to listen to Him and to read about Him and to know Him and to get closer to Him and to find out how to be like Him? I'm saying, listen, when you go to high school and you walk into your classes every day or you go into college or maybe you wake up and you work in your flower garden tomorrow, do you go out every day of your life pleading and longing and soaking in the Word of God that you might know Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I count all things as dung. That's what it says. As refuse. As a pile of manure that I may know Jesus. Now certainly the Apostle Paul would not say that everything in the world is a pile of manure. There are good things, right? We want to invest in our families. We want to invest in our friends. We want to invest in our jobs. We want to invest in our physical life, our emotional life. But I want to say this, all of those things are as refuse or dung compared to Jesus. I'm pleading with you today on the authority of God's Word. This week I've been trying to wrap my mind around it. I want to know Jesus better. Don't you want to know Jesus better? Don't you want to be conformed to Christ's image? What does that look like in your life? What is more important to you than Jesus? For some of you, it's other relationships. For some of you, it's what people think of you. For some of you, it's the money that you have in the bank or the lack thereof. For some of you, it's sports. For some of you, it's really good things. But it's not Jesus. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? 
The Apostle Paul goes on and he says, look, it's not that I've been drinking and doing all of these crazy things. He says, look, I am a Jew of Jews. I am from the line of Benjamin and I, have, I, am, a, I am a Pharisee and I have studied and I've done all of these things. In fact, there are some people in this room that you're so focused on being better than other people and knowing certain trivialities about God's Word that you're not in love with Christ and knowing Him more. Because if you were truly in love with Jesus, you would wake up tomorrow and in your prayer time you'd say, Lord, I don't have to guess. I know here and here and here is where I'm failing and coming short of God's glory. I know this is the tendency in my life to treat other people this way. I know this is the tendency of my life to have so much fear and so much pride and so much control over life that I don't trust You. I know where the issues are in my life and I want Jesus to come shining forth. I want to love you and read about you and know you and pray to you. I need you to be real to my life. I need you to bring victory and grace and mercy into my life so that my life looks like Jesus. If you don't do that, Jesus is not the center of your life. Maybe not on Monday. I'm not trying to bring a heavy-handed stick on your head. All I'm trying to say is, the last seven days... Hey, listen, we're, just, we're family today. The last seven days... So something, something's got to change in us. Something is stopping up the valve of God's glory and mercy flowing through us as believers and families and church. Now some, of we, some of us, we just come week in and week out, and I'm tired of that. We just come and sit and play. What I'm asking you right now is as I'm speaking, I want you to look into your life. And I want, to, I want you to ask yourself, is there really some sort of gnawing, passionate, longing desire to know Jesus better? I mean, I mean really, like the kind that wakes you up at night. Like sometime this week, I, I just want to know Him. I've got to know Him better. I see what I am without Him and I see what I could be with Him. And He's marvelous and He's glorious and He's wonderful. And all of these songs that we sang are really true, right, Jamie? He is glorious and wonderful and He saves us by His mercy. And somewhere along in your life, maybe years ago, you had a tearful moment where you broke down and you let Christ in and He did a marvelous work in your life, but it's gone callous and cold over and now you can't even get out what's on the inside. And I'm just saying to you, if there is no passion on the inside to know Jesus in a greater and a better and in a supernatural way so that He transforms who you are, what's wrong? You say, Steve, do I have to be on cloud nine every day? Not, no, I'm not on cloud nine every day. And in fact, I'm kind of scared of the people that are, right? Some of that's fake. I'm telling you that you could be, you could be on cloud negative nine and have a desire to know God and Christ in the middle of your suffering. The issue is not so much where you are right now in life on this continuum of really bad or really well off. The issue is, where's your heart? 
There are people in this room right now who have been members of this church for 20 or more years and you're as cold and dead on the inside as you can possibly be. And I speak to you on the authority of Jesus Christ and I plead with you, ask Christ to break your heart and to rush in with His mercy and power and to show you once again that He died on the cross and that He rose again, that He saved you from your sins and that He'll walk with you daily and help you through all things. Your heart is what's at stake. We want God's power here. We want unbelievers to come in and to hear the Word of God and be saved. We want to see lame people rise up and walk. We want God's power. God's power runs through broken hearts. Isn't that what the book of Psalms says? That He's close to those who are of a broken and a contrite spirit. Look back down on the text. I'll say a couple of words here about Christ being the center of what we do. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His... Now, maybe some of your translations will say servant Jesus, and some others will say son Jesus, which is correct. Yes. Okay. The word here is pace or pious, and it is the word for son. But when it is used in the New Testament, often in this kind of context, it is talking about a child who was a slave. And this is even the more being used here as the word servant. And why it has connections is because this runs us all the way back to the book of Isaiah, the servant, uh, the servant Psalms or the servant chapters, Isaiah 42 through 53. And if you were to look, we don't have time today, but if you were to look at Isaiah 53, say verse number 11, verse 12, and verse number 13, you will find that the apostle Peter is drawing from Isaiah 53, 11, 12, and 13 to write this. And he is saying that the Father has glorified His suffering servant Jesus who would come and die for our sins and be raised again. Look what it says here. He has glorified His servant Jesus, the One whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when He had decided to release Him. But you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you but to death the, uh, and put to death the Prince of Life, the One whom God had raised from the dead. Let me just make a few comments about that. First of all, I want you to understand that the you here is emphatic in this passage. It is God who has planned all things. It is God who has predestined His Son to die and be raised again, but you're the one that put him to death. And the you that's here is not just speaking about past tense, those who were present at the cross. It is speaking to every unbeliever in the world that does not repent. You put Christ to death. And I want every person under the sound of my voice today to understand we are guilty of putting Christ to death. You are not normal. You are not uh, neutral. You are not a good person. We are bad people. Christ died for bad people. And Christ has mercy on who He wants to have mercy on. 
I hope that you'll leave here today maybe a little pricked in your heart over this statement. You cannot get saved when you want to. You cannot be a follower of Jesus when you want to. God is the one that is in control of salvation, not you. You do not get to just decide whether you want Jesus or not. The way the Bible teaches it is that you should come helpless and hopeless, begging and crying and weeping and longing that God, the God of heaven through His Christ and by His Spirit might take mercy and pity on your poor soul. And so when you leave here today, I want you to understand that all of us don't stand in a position of authority above Christ just taking Him when we want Him. We stand below the cross weeping and begging for God to have mercy on us. You want to know the reason why a lot of people have a profession of Christ, but you never see them in church, and they never follow Jesus, and they don't like His people, and they don't want to serve, and they don't want to pray, they don't want to be a part, but when you ask them, they say they're a believer. It's because they were preached a gospel where they were the one in control. If you walk out of here today and you understand that you're not in control and God must take mercy and pity on your soul or you'll burn in an everlasting fire for all eternity and you weep and you turn to Jesus, you'll give all of your life to Him and serve Him all the days of your life. That is true salvation. There are people in this room today who have been members of this church for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And one day Jesus will say to you, depart from Me. I never knew you. You say, I'm a little nervous about that. You should be. It's okay. You should tremble a little bit at the truth of God's Word. If your Christianity sometimes doesn't cause you to think and check and meditate about what God has really done for you, you don't have the right Christianity. So you're trying to scare me. Maybe a little bit. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs a little scaring. Maybe you've grown a little too comfortable with playing religion. True Christianity comes by putting your faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. And that kind of faith, my brother or sister, transforms your life. You cannot meet Jesus today and be the same tomorrow. Notice with me a few things and I'll move quickly to close. There are four or five titles for Jesus in this beautiful little section that will minister encouragement to brothers and sisters alike here today. Look what he says. First of all, it speaks in verse number 13, His servant, Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant who died for you on your behalf. He took all of your sin into His life and He gave you His righteousness. He is the one that suffered. Jesus did not deserve to suffer. Jesus suffered for you. You ought to leave here today and just meditate and worship on the fact that Jesus is the suffering servant that died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. 
Look with me, if you will, at verse number 14. But you disowned the holy and righteous one. It goes together. He is both holy and righteous. That is, that He is completely distinct and over us. He is otherworldly, that He is holy and untouchable. And He is righteous. He is just. He is right. He is good. He is merciful. You put this one who is holy and right, you put Him to death. And you asked for a murderer. Look at now the irony at the end of verse 14 and the beginning of verse number 15. You asked for a murderer to be released and you murdered the only one who has life in him. You see that? You asked for a murderer to be released and you put to death the prince or the pioneer of life. Lostness is insanity. Where you would put to death the only one who could give you life. This one God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. If you're here today, listen. If you're a preacher, right? Or a teacher, or a mentor, or a discipler, all of your ministry ought to begin with self-denial and humility. And it ought to center on Jesus Christ. If you're here today, and maybe you don't have a particular ministry like that, if you are a witness of Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, your life ought to center around Jesus Christ. You ought to leave here today wondering and thinking and meditating and reading and wondering and asking questions and talking about the pastor at lunchtime. I don't care if you talk about me or not. Just find out what it is that will force you to get closer to Jesus. I'm serious. I, just think with me for just a moment. That's, that's it. We've got to get here, people. I'm not worried about what you're going to have for lunch. I'm not worried about your brother or your sister. But it's us. It's me, oh Lord. Are you longing and thirsting and seeking to know Jesus better every day? I mean, in, in a real tangible kind of way. I'm not, I'm not talking about something in passing or, yeah, I just showed up here, I do this. I'm talking about, is there something on the inside that just aches and says, Ah, oh, Lord, I, I want to know You. He's right. The Word's right. I want to know Jesus. You know, this week I even sat around like, look, your pastor's working at this too. I was praying this week and I was thinking, Lord, how do I know You better? What does that mean? How do I know You better? I want to read more about you. I want to read what Jesus did and said and how He lived. And I want to do those things in my life. I want to fast and I want to pray and I want to talk to Him and I want to give my heart and my soul and my mind to Him. Beg and plead with Jesus to make you more conformed to His image. Find avenues and outlets and, and runways and places in your own individual life that I can't preach about because I don't know you. Find ways to draw close to Jesus. That might be listening to a sermon in your car radio on your way to work. That might mean turning off some things and turning on gospel, good believing music. It might mean uh, talking over uh, dinner instead of talking about other things that you're talking about a biblical passage. Or I don't know what it looks like for you, but I'm seeking in my own life to know what it looks like for me. If I asked you to leave here today and you had to write down on a piece of paper, this week... This is what I am going to do so that my heart longs to love Jesus and know Him more.
what would you say? What if I asked you, honestly, nobody else will see. I really, in my heart right now, I have this aching to know Jesus. To my believers that are here today that are with me and you're trying your hardest to follow Jesus, isn't that hard sometimes? You just close your mind and say, I want to know you more. But I can't see you. I can't put my hand in your side. I can't put my hand in your scars. I didn't see you do that. I've never touched anybody and then walk and leap and praise God, but I want to know you. My life, I want to be a better husband and I want to be a better father and I want to not just better godly, I want to respond better to agony and suffering and pain and, and I want to be able to minister to other people. I want to see God come through me in ways that have never been before. I don't, I don't want to sit by and serve God now, but when I'm 70, I want my grandchildren to see grandpa following and loving Jesus with everything that they have. I want them to say on the day that he died, he was learning something else about Jesus. Won't you come with me? Won't you make that leap right now in your own heart? He said, Pastor, that fire will burn out. You're right. you got to stoke it tomorrow. Would you come with me? In this one moment right now, would you talk with God in your own heart? You know, for every true believer in this room, you know periodically there's something that rises up that says, I want more than what I have. God's salvation has got to be more than just delivering me from past sins. There are some things that are going on right now that I need Him. The Holy, the Righteous One, the Prince of Life. Aren't you glad that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves? <laughs> the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What does this verse say here? They put to death the Prince of Life. You could translate that the pioneer of life. Hey, you know, and when I think about the pioneer of life, I think about them killing him and putting him down in the tomb. And Jesus, he's the one. Nobody else comes out of the grave on their own power. But Jesus pioneers the way. You ever seen, you know what a pioneer is, right? You go out there, you got your machete, you go out in the middle of the woods and you just hack out a portrayal. You ever been out in the woods somewhere and you think you're way far out and all of a sudden you've seen a worn down trail? And what do you know instantly? Somebody's been there before. You may be in the heart of all of your sin, but I promise you today, if you'll look to Jesus, you'll see a worn out trail where He has blazed the trail out of the grave and new life. And if you'll trust Him, He'll give you new life in your heart and change you. All ministry begins with humility. It centers on Christ. And it ends in the proclamation of the Gospel. Look at verse number 16. On the basis of faith... In His name. Whenever you see that phrase in the New Testament, His name, or baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's not just talking about saying the name. The name in the New Testament means all of the power and the resources that are in that person. And on the basis of faith in Him, that is in His name, 
It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. But now look interestingly here at the faith. And the faith which comes through capitalized Him has given small h Him this perfect and complete health and presence in the presence of you all. Faith is not a work. Faith is a gift that comes from God to us. And God gave this man the gift of faith to believe in Jesus. And the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see what I said a minute ago? about how you don't stand in the authority of salvation, God does. Everyone in this room ought to feel helpless for a moment. Well, wait a minute. If, gift is, if faith is a gift, how can I... What are you saying? I'm telling you that if you ever believe on Jesus Christ, God will have to give you the faith to do it. Well, what do I do? What, where, where do I go? What do I say? How can I fix this? You can't. All you can do is not even lift your eyes to heaven. <laughs> you familiar with this story that Jesus tells? But lower your chin on your chest and beat your chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That kind of humble, laid out position before God those are the people He grants faith and mercy to. He said, well, I'm a believer. Let me ask you this. In your belief, have you been operating as a Christian without the grace and the mercy of Jesus? Do you wake up every day saying, I'm going to be better, do better, I'm going to do all of this? Or do you wake up every day and say, oh God, I want to serve You and I want to know Jesus and I, I want to follow after Him, but... There's something in me that pulls me away. I want to know You better. I want to walk with You. I want to treat people well. Have mercy. You want to know when a church sees revival? You want to know when your life sees revival? When you're willing to admit to yourself, I need the help of God. I've been going the wrong way and I need God's help. I need to turn from my sin, right? And follow Jesus. James, James and Daddy have been uh, working together. Daisy has a bone that's right near her uh, cage, kennel. And uh, James has about four billion toys. But just guess what James wants to play with. I set James down over here. And he goes, and he starts crawling. And he gets right here. And daddy is over there. And the bone is over there. He has a fork in the road, a decision to be made. Six times yesterday morning before eight o'clock. 
I love my son, seven months old. You can't spank a seven month old. I go over. No, no, James. No, that's not good. I'm not doing anything. Again, a little, a little pop on the, that's just the diaper, you know. I pick him up. I put him back here. I set it down. And off he goes. He gets to the fork in the road. Come this way, son. Come this way. <laughs> right around the sixth or seventh time, the illustration breaks down because I don't think James was getting right with Jesus. <laughs> he gets all the way over here. And I think he just got tired. He just fell down. But in my mind, I'm going to tell you, finally, come to me. Come to daddy. And he came to me. That's a faulty illustration. It's, it's a weak one. My child is seven years old. He didn't understand anything. But you do. You do. You know right where you are right now, don't you? You know right where you are. Again and again and again and again, God has set all of you down. And you've made it to the fork in the road. And I plead, I plead on behalf of Jesus. Come to Him. Come to Him. Which way will you go? To the one who died for you? Or to that dog bone that you think brings you satisfaction? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? In just a moment, we're going to play a little bit of music. And we'll stand and sing together. And I, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm not like a lot of preachers. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you today, if you're visiting, you're with us, we're family. But if you're here, this is all I know how to tell you. When we stand and sing, you need to do business with God right now. Right now. Whatever He's telling you. Whatever you feel that is gripping you in your heart. Talk with Him now. Make it right now. If you need to come down and pray on these steps, you are more than welcome to come. Sometimes that helps for people just to kind of make that statement in their own heart. Everybody in this room messes up, so nobody's judging you. Make it right. Right now in your heart. If you need to trust Jesus for salvation, do it. Make Him the King of your life. If this is the place and time in your life that you need to say, I'm going to stop going to these other things and I'm going to long for Jesus and go to Him every day, you make that real in your life right now. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.